This is episode number 91, Podcast Recess, with myself and my husband, Matt Iwanis. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Yeah, I just did whatever. I didn't really think about why. I went to school, got a job, and I seemed to be doing everything I liked, but I didn't really evaluate what it was that I was doing that was making me happy. And I went, okay, there's something not quite right here. I'm looking at where I am in my life and I'm not happy and I have to have the courage to say to myself, I'm not happy with where I'm at. And that's hard. And today's episode is a fun one. I wanted to call it podcast recess because it was just a fun conversation that Matt and I had, sometimes difficult at times, talking about a lot of the things we've been working on this year and coming out of last year. We talk about burnout and how to identify it, how to come out of burnout and have the courage to do less. We talk about goal setting and expectations. We talked about self-care and some of the self-care routines that we've been doing. And we also talk about just starting where you are and building better habits. I'm a little bit nervous to put this episode out there because we got pretty vulnerable, but I think it's really important just to be yourself and to be honest with where you're at So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, and I know a lot of you guys enjoyed last week's podcast guest with Kate Courtney, thank you so much for subscribing to the show and for sharing that episode with your friends. I definitely saw all of you guys out there. I shared and reshared all of the shout outs that you gave us. And it really makes a huge difference to see whenever you are listening and whenever you're enjoying the show. So thanks for that. And if you don't mind, it only takes five seconds to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You just open the app on your phone and search my name and just scroll down and leave a review or a rating. And it literally is easy. So thank you to those of you who have done that. I think we have 173 reviews in the US Apple Podcasts store. They actually divide it out by country. So that's on the US side. Also, a big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. Patreon's a crowdfunding website and only a couple bucks a month makes a massive difference to helping this show grow. And a cool thing that I've been implementing lately on Patreon is saying who the guests are in advance and then allowing the Patreon members to write in questions. So they get their name announced on the show. They get to contribute to crafting the interview. And that's a pretty cool thing. And it's also really fun to hear the questions that you guys have so that I make sure that I'm addressing all angles. And last thing before we get into it is thanks to those of you who are rocking the Moxie and Grit winter socks. We have the Sexy Beast, the Chubby Unicorn, and the Do Epic Shit winter socks. There's still a few pairs available of those. And after those are gone, they're gone until next winter. So if you want a pair, you've been dragging your feet, make sure you go to moxieandgrit.com. That said, we also are going to have some really fun spring designs coming. I just finished them with my designer last week, and we'll be putting those up so that you can check them out. Another fun thing that you might not be aware of on Moxie and Grit is that we are doing t-shirts and hoodies and coffee mugs. And those have turned out really nice and they're pretty fun. So thank you again to those of you who are supporting Moxie and Grit and who are on the Moxie and Grit Instagram. It's really fun to see you guys out there in your adventures wearing stuff that I designed. So thank you. 
So I'm just going to get right into it today with Matt and I, and I've been wanting to record this show for a while. And a lot of times people record shows in the new year talking about their new year and their habits. And I think the stat, I mean, we've heard it a million times, but people abandon their new year's resolutions after only maybe a week. So I think it it was a good time to check in mid-February here just to talk about some of the changes that Matt and I have implemented into our lives because last year, it was a difficult year in a lot of ways for both of us. We did both achieve a lot in our businesses, but there was definitely a price to pay basically just in our health and our state of happiness and well-being. So we definitely want to talk about that today. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's fun about having a business and running a business is you get caught up in that. And sometimes you're so excited to push so much energy that way that you forget that you can't do everything at once. And then there is a price to pay. So yeah, addressing that this year has been really positive for both of us and fun at the same time. Yeah. And Matt, people probably don't know what you do for work. So you might want to elaborate. I run a financial planning firm. So I've got a group of partners and we see clients and talk about how to build financial plans for individuals and corporations, as well as we're expanding and bringing on new partners and new team members. And there's all kinds of moving parts with that and all kinds of growth opportunities and and fun things that are happening. Yeah. And to sort of dissect what you do in your business, you're a financial planner, but you're also CEO and running a company. And a lot of times people that own their own businesses that have a skill that they're offering a service they also have to understand how to run a business. And those are two exclusively different things. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, and it parallels what you do as well. But as a financial planner, I meet with individuals and and I build financial plans. But as a CEO, I'm worried about business structure, business processes, long term vision, the CFO work I do as well. So what are the financial backing for those plans? And how do we generate revenue to bring those to fruition? And, and then how do we add value to all of our clients and our stakeholders, our shareholders, etc. So that's my business. But whether you're selling widgets, or whether you're a professional athlete, the way that your model runs, your production time, much like mine in front of my clients is you being an athlete and training and racing but you're still running your own business and you have to worry about revenues and long-term planning and building new things. So there's that the totally different skill set. Just because you can ride a bike fast doesn't mean that you can do those other things well. So you have to take time to develop those. And just because you're a good financial planner doesn't mean you know anything about running a company. So those two skill sets for both of us are, are really different and really fun and challenging. Yeah. And I think that there's a couple different things here. One of them is kind of, I'm going to steal the title of a new book by Brad Stolberg that's coming out, who's been a podcast guest multiple times, but there's a a passion paradox. So doing something that you love and that you're really passionate about, but then letting it kind of take over your life. And then there's also the pursuit of more. And if you guys have listened to the Essentialism podcast with Greg McEwen, his whole thing is the pursuit of less. So in our lives, we're always so driven to more more, like, what else can I do? How much harder can I work? It's all about the hustle. Like, I got to stay ahead of everybody else. But in that time, sometimes we lose sight of what's important to us or what our initial vision was. And it's easy to start almost resenting what you've created because you're working so hard and not taking that downtime. And I think one of the challenges with that is you don't know where that line is until you cross it. So you may start two or three new projects or new businesses or add new things into your life or add family members, add dogs, add you name it, buy houses, whatever it is that, that you're adding into your life that, that adds 
excitement, energy, and potentially time and stress, you don't know how much you can handle until you cross that line. So you sort of stack it on and stack it on and stack it on. Cause, oh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. And all of a sudden, it's not so much fun. And my analogy with that is kind of like, if you like chocolate, it's eating chocolate cake. The first couple of pieces are awesome, but you're like, oh, that third piece, I can, I'm sure I could crush the third piece. And all of a sudden you feel like throwing up. So even though it's awesome, it's still chocolate cake. You just had a little bit too much of it. And then you're force feeding yourself like Iago and Aladdin. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I'm sure I could crush three pieces of chocolate cake, but still there is a line there I would cross. Yeah. So it's easy to get burnt out and burnout is something that affects everybody at some point in their lives and sometimes repeatedly. And that's been something for me that I've really had to keep in check. And it's funny because my podcast is a lot about like how to live a high performance life and how to be better. But in the quest for that, I tend to start saying, well, what if I start doing two podcasts a week? Or what if I start writing more articles? Or what if I start other social media accounts? Or what if I start other parts of my business? And I get so excited for the pursuit of more and creating more. But then you have to realize that it's like, oh, I'm just one person and I love doing all this stuff. But then at the end of the day, my number one job is to be a professional athlete. So last year I had the podcast going and I started Moxie and Grit, my apparel line, which is awesome. And You know, something else to keep in mind is that whenever you're starting something, a lot of times it takes a lot more energy to get it up and running. And then once it's up and running, it's a lot easier. So like getting that up and running was a lot. I did like 14 feature stories for across various publications. I still raced full time. Gosh, speaking engagements. Yeah, I did a bunch of speaking engagements. And when it came down to time for training, It might come as a surprise to you guys, but I literally rode my bike eight hours a week and it wasn't really training. It was just riding and it was recovery riding and feeling terrible on my bike and almost like not wanting to ride my bike and being like, why am I doing all this? Like, I I just feel like, ugh. and really it was just being burnt out and it was hard to accept that that was happening because I thought, well, of course I can do it all. Like I have all this energy. I can just work around the clock and I love all these things. So it's not going to suck away my energy. But then I learned, it was another podcast guest, actually. See, these podcast episodes are sometimes my therapy. But (laughs) there's a guest, he's a PhD named Walter Stiano, and we talked about mental fatigue. And he works with Samuel Marcora, how mental fatigue contributes to physical fatigue. And I couldn't understand why, if I was only riding my bike, just like easy rides eight hours a week, why was I so exhausted all the time on my bike? Like I shouldn't be. And I learned that it's because I was really pushing the envelope with my energy, dispensing it every possible place I could because I wanted to do it all. And it came at a price. Like I really struggled, you know, being quite candid. I struggled in my races. I had great results, but mentally I struggled. Like it wasn't as fun as it normally was. I wasn't motivated to train. I wasn't motivated. I mean, I was motivated to like push myself to do everything, but I was losing the joy for everything. And some days feeling like, well, why am I doing this? And I think that's kind of one of the signs that things are maybe a little bit out of balance is that the joy goes away. And things that you normally love to do, you're just like, if it's a bike race, like, God, when will this thing just end? Even if you're winning or in your business, if you're having a bunch of success in your business, but you just like, and for me, at some points, I was like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, maybe I should just retire. <laughs> you know? Not that I'm in any place that I should be thinking about retirement. But so I think those thoughts, the lack of joy, questioning what you're doing, even though you know that you love it, are, are good indications that, hey, maybe this isn't quite right. 
And I think another really important point is that it takes some time to build up to this. So when I look back, I look, it might be 18 months to two years of being out of whack and just pushing through it. Because in your mind, you're going, well, no, I, I have the energy to do this. I love all these things. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. And you don't really realize the toll that it's taking. You start thinking, well, maybe I should take different multivitamins or maybe I should do something different here. But uh, it's those are the indications of the lack of joy, things that you know you love that you stop liking. That's burnout for sure. Yeah. And also immune system. Like we were both sick a lot last year and then I got shingles at the end of the year too, which for someone younger, it's, it's often a sign of stress. And I'm a little bit uncomfortable like talking about this at this level on my podcast because I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about my life. Like I'm incredibly lucky for all of the opportunities. Like I live this incredibly dream life and I have so much gratitude for that. And I just wanted to share that, man, like even whenever you're living like the most amazing life you ever dreamed of for yourself, if you go too far towards one direction, it can start being hard. So if you're feeling those things in your life, you're getting sick a lot. There's a lot, there's maybe the joy is gone. Like take a break and it makes a huge difference because I mean, sometimes the break needs to be kind of long. Like I took a longer off season, which would equate to probably like a normal off season, but taking that break gives you more clarity and it gives you some space from what you're doing. And sometimes the break is scary because you think, well, what if I take a break and then I just quit everything? Because that's kind of where your mind is whenever you're so burned out. Yeah. For me, I think it was probably around July. We did a stage race in Poland, which was an awesome race, like crazy steep climbs, actually technical descents, which I was surprised about to find in Europe. And I completely cratered at that race. I mean, for everything from physiologically to getting sick to mentally the whole nine yards. And by the time I got home, it was one of those trips. You're like, I went to this, I went to Europe. We did this really amazing trip. And the whole time I was just like, ugh, when is this over? Not because I wanted to get home. It was just like, this is lame. And I checked myself and I thought, holy smokes, like what has happened to me? So that, that was my wake up moment. And it took months. It was really purposefully, I would say four months of working less hours. So not as many hours in the office. To to get better. To get better, yeah. Yeah. Traveling less. So, I mean, we love traveling, whether it's even just, if we have a weekend at home, we're thinking, okay, where can we go? Like we live in BC, which is great. So there's all kinds of cool places to go within a short drive, short flights. I mean, we're in the West Coast. We're close to the West Coast. So stopping that little bit, trying to find some space to relax and be at home, that really helped as well. But the hard part is actually putting the brakes on because when you've been doing everything, you're afraid that if you pull that one string or you slow down just a little bit, then everything's going to fall apart. So where do you get the confidence to say, I'm going to slow down now? Well, and that actually is an interesting point because one of the things that we read in the, I believe it's a Dan Buettner book on the happiness book, Blue, Blue Zones, Zones of, of Happiness, happiness. Yeah. Uh, was one of the things that contributes to happiness was getting a dog. And for us, that kind of accomplished two things. It was a forced way to maybe slow down and spend some time at home because we've got this little furball and also to just to have another little furry guy running around the house to have fun with. So that was also a big change for us. Yeah. You should have heard the reactions of people whenever they found out we were getting a dog, like our family, <laughs> like what? Like you don't have time for a dog. Like you travel all the time. How are you going to take care of it? And we're like, that's the point. The point is so we make time to take care of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you have to be a little bit cautious with that. But that was a good way for us to slow down was to find another reason to not be so full pin. But to be fair, we also were careful about the type of dog we got so we knew we could travel with it, for example. So we weren't prepared to all of a sudden pull the e-brake and not do anything, but we wanted to find something that fit with our lifestyle. So we were, we were very thoughtful about it. 
Yeah. And I wanted to say for me, how I was able to slow down and it was scary. Cause like I said, I took a, a longer, like normally I race until November and I stopped racing in August this year or last year. And I remember I bought all these different journals because one of my ideas of something that I want to do is I want to create my own journal. And that's going to be down the line because I have all these ideas of all these things that I want to do and I can only do them one at a time. And that's hard to swallow. But I was looking through one of these journals and I remember we live next to this awesome lake in Kelowna, BC. It's called Okanagan Lake and it's a hundred miles long and there's like sand beaches. And I made an intention. I set an intention in August every day to go spend between 20 to 30 minutes on the beach relaxing. And one of those days I brought one of these journals with me and I thought, well, I'll just look through it and maybe I'll just answer some of the questions at the beginning. And it was about happiness. And it was a really interesting analysis of where I was in my life. And it was like, what are the things that make you happy? And it was like traveling, but not traveling too much and spending time with friends and going to yoga and coming to the beach or seeing family or not feeling like I'm in a rush, like all these different things that seem obvious, but I wasn't really executing them very well. And then it was, what are all the things that make you unhappy? And then the third column was, is this within your control? And the crazy thing was almost every single thing that was contributing to me feeling stressed was 100% within my control. And the prescription and solution to every single element was exactly the same. And the answer was slow down, slow down. So I have that journal. It was called the happiness journal. And that's as far as I got. Like, I don't really like the daily productivity type journals, but I like the beginning part of that. And now whenever I start feeling that, that feeling of, oh, I need to do more, like I'm, I'm not enough, I pull out that journal and I say, okay, what makes me happy? Slowing down. And that really was a wake up call for me. And it's been really helpful to just keep that in mind of what is important to me and what makes me happy? Because those two things are really easy to lose sight of, especially when you start achieving things or you're always set to achieve things. And I think that's an interesting point too, is when you say slow down, what does that mean? So it's one thing just to say, well, I'm going to do less, but what is it that you should be doing instead of working or whatever it is that you're doing? And there was an interesting book called The Happiness Advantage by an author called Sean Acor, who I had the good fortune of seeing speak a bunch of years ago. And one of the things that he said is that as you get farther and farther down this road of, of burnout, the first thing you do is you push away your relationships. So I don't have time for my friends. I don't have time for my family. I got to get this stuff done. And then the next thing you push away is your health. So maybe your diet goes to hell. Maybe you stop exercising. Maybe all these things start to happen. So it's getting those things back in order again. So whatever it is, like if you can define what the things are that make you happy, go and do more of those. So if it's social connectivity, spending time with family, spending time with friends, getting involved in your community. If it's exercise and you haven't been doing that because you don't have time, it's going to the gym, going for a bike ride, getting your diet dialed. So it sounds really just common sense, but... I think we both found ourselves in a position where we were there. We're like, we don't spend time with anybody. We're working full time. You're hardly exercising. Full time meaning like seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. No exaggeration and not wearing that as a badge of honor. Like a lot of times people will say, well, I work this many hours a week and it becomes this badge of honor. And I think that that should be a badge of dishonor in some cases because it means you have like, if it's for long term, maybe a lot of, I don't want to use the word balance, but maybe just a lot of muckiness happening. (laughs) I like that word. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, from the same author, Sean Acor, your 
efficiency goes way down when you're working that much. So you're, you're spending all these hours, you're doing, you're thinking, well, I'm going to spend those two extra hours a day at the office and I'm going to work on Saturday and Sunday, but you're actually getting less done in those seven days if you just dialed it back and had happiness and balance in your life. And it's hard to accept that as a reality until you try it. And you actually see that happening and you go, wow, things are actually on this huge growth curve and I'm doing less than I was before in my mind. But the reality is you're more efficient, you're crushing things because you know that you're not going to be there all day. Yeah. And it's incredibly hard to trust that and to start doing less and to start, like you said, you were working less hours, you're leaving work at like 5.30, 6 o'clock, which seems, you know, it seems crazy to say that's leaving work early, but that is, it's like, oh, I'm, he's, he's home early today. Yeah. It's nice. Now there's time to actually like eat and have a conversation. Instead, it was like, you know, you get home at 7.30 or 8, you just eat some food and 30 minutes later, it's go to bed, get up, do it again the next day. So Looking back, it just is sort of ridiculous that I got to that point. But like you said, you're enjoying all these things. So it doesn't feel like you're grinding your way through it. Yeah. So coming into the new year, I sat down and I said, I'm going to reprioritize my life and really be honest with myself about what is important. And it was hard. Like I had to put self-care as number one, because if you're not taking care of yourself and what I mean by self-care is making sure you're sleeping eight hours a night, making sure that you're working, not working around the clock and taking downtime. And the hard part for me is it's like, if I'm not working or training, then it's what am I supposed to do with myself? Because I've done that for so long. So what does that mean? And like not feeling guilty for resting and not working. So that, and then I also restarted meditating, restarted going to yoga again, you know, twice a week. And we have our, in our kitchen, our dryer and washer is also in our kitchen and it's visible. So I took a dry erase marker and I wrote down the daily rituals that I wanted to have and the weekly rituals that I wanted to have. And I kept score for about a month to make sure that I was incorporating as much of that as I possibly could. And it was really hard to make those a priority because it meant that I had less time to get stuff done. Like I'm going to get behind in things and I'm not going to be producing as many things that I want to be producing and accepting that as, you know what, it's okay because doing more, achieving more, producing more things, like feeling like I have to keep up and prove myself and all those things, like that's actually not what makes me feel good. So yeah, the self-care things, I try to do one to two mobility exercises per day. And we had Doc Jen Fit, Jen Scare on the show talking about mobility. But if you just like Google mobility, working on those things so you don't feel trapped in your body my goal was to stop work at 5.30 every day. And I have to say that I haven't been executing that, especially in the last couple of weeks, but working less. And then the biggest thing for me has been committing to traveling less. And I love traveling and I'm so incredibly fortunate to have opportunities to be going anywhere and everywhere all the time. But that is like the number one contributor. Like last year, I traveled every week of the entire year until November, I stopped and that was way too much. So having like two week blocks at home where I can like get unpacked and have a clean, organized house and have time to cook and have time to see friends like that has been amazing. And the last thing, which was something that had been a goal for a while, but I was just afraid to pull the trigger on was hiring a part time assistant. And it feels like so silly to say, oh, like I have an assistant, but oh my gosh, it makes a massive difference. Her name is Tina and she helps a lot with podcast stuff. I love, love, love doing the podcast, but it is a lot of work. 
it's not for the faint of heart. So it's been so awesome having her help and it's helped me become a better podcaster because now I can focus my energy on the interviews instead of all of these other things that go along with it and also helping me with Moxie and Grit. And I was afraid to spend the money because you have to pay somebody and you're paying them every month and you're on the hook for it. But oh my gosh, it is so worth it. And Matt was really helpful in telling me like, look, like this is how you hire somebody. This is what you look for. And this is why you need to do this. And I've gotten back 10 to 15 hours a week of my life. And that time has gone directly to training. And I've actually been training like a real professional athlete again. And it feels so good. Uh, I think it's, I mean, again, hiring an assistant, I think we should all be able to do that regardless if we're self-employed or not if we choose to, but it, I think it comes down to sort of the philosophy of what money is for you. And and for me, and I think for Sonia as well, money means flexibility. So you don't necessarily need to have a lot of it. It's just how you manage it. So if you're running a business and you're buried and you're worried that you can't afford to bring somebody in, if you're getting your time back, that is a really worthwhile investment. And then what you start to see is, again, you're focusing more energy and quality energy on the things that you're passionate about, which will probably drive your business forward again. So it's, it's taking that leap. And this is one of the things that, that I'm continually impressed with with Sonia is starting before you're ready. Like you just go, right? You say, you know what? I'm not really there yet, but I don't care what it is. It could be a, a training for a race. It could be starting businesses. It could be anything, writing a book. It's start before you think you're ready and you'll become ready in the process. So true. Yeah. Well, one of the exciting things that Sonia has been working on with Tina, she's been a really big help, is also a book as well. Yeah, a cookbook. It's a plant-based cookbook and it's Matt has, Matt definitely put his hand on my back and gave me a big push. Like, when are you doing that cookbook? You've been talking about this for a while and it's almost done, but man, it's been pretty intense the last couple of weeks, but I'm excited about that. It'll be coming out at the beginning of March. Yeah, that's awesome. And I just really wanted to eat all the food. So that's why I was pushing so hard. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I wanted to say was with that extra time and with dedicating more time to self-care and working less it means that you have to do things that are more restorative for yourself. And to quote, again, Brad Silberg, who I'm a huge fan of and previous podcast guest, he defined rest as doing something where you don't feel like you need to improve at it. And that was such a great description because there's so many things that like, I love learning and I love growing, but even that can take away from your rest. So I have to admit that, like, what am I doing? Well, I'm reading books and the books, they are a little bit about growth, so I need to start reading more like fictiony type books. Like I still haven't read the Harry Potter series, but sitting my butt on the couch and watching Netflix and then not feeling bad about it. And just like playing with our dog, like having a dog has been amazing because it's like, I like playing with him and I work less because of it, but I enjoy it. Like I like going for walks. I like training him. I like petting him. I like having this little energetic, fun little soul. Um, His name is Baxter, if you guys haven't seen him yet. But it's been super cool, and I've never had a dog before. So it's just really neat to see that. Yeah, one of the things that really helped me at the beginning of the year when we were trying to implement some changes is Sonia, as you may or may not be surprised to hear, loves schedules. She loves organizing a whole bunch of different things at once. So (laughs) I started talking about all the self-care things because, of course, you know, I'm not a professional athlete and I haven't put training and self-care high enough on my list. That was one of the first things to go. So I had all these goals. I wanted to work on mobility. I wanted to work on meditation. And for me, training, I wanted to actually start training again because I love to race my mountain bike. That's how we met. And that's really kind of gone, you know, almost out the window in the last couple of years. I got to interrupt. Sorry. So I just got to say that Matt is this like crazy, like he's so mentally tough because 
he goes like he went to the pioneer in New Zealand or, or Poland or like he goes to the same races that I do. And in the last two years, it's basically been with no training and he just like shows up and just like blows himself to pieces at these races. <laughs> and man, like it takes a lot of guts to do that. It's, I won't lie. It's painful. It's one of those things like you don't train because you're working so hard because you want to work hard so you can afford to take the time off. But then you go to these like incredibly difficult multi-day races and just completely shred yourself with no training. So yeah, after two years of that, I just thought, this is dumb. <laughs> so anyway, to, to rectify that situation, I sat down and Sonia's like, okay, that's great. Let's build this schedule. And it's amazing as we started building out like a, a sample daily schedule and you put in, okay, well, I want this many hours of training. I want to meditate. I want to work on self-care. Uh, the day is almost gone. And of course, if you have a, you know, a longer work day in there as well. So I looked at it and I thought, oh my God, well, like the only way this is going to happen is if, because I need to get up so early to get all my training in before I go to work, you start looking at, well, and I need this many hours of sleep. I'm going to bed like early, like really early. Well, not that early compared to some people. <laughs> well, yeah, but for us, it, mean, it, was, it was a big change from what we yeah. were doing before. Yeah. So, but it was really so, helpful. Wait, just, what was that though? So people know. Oh, so I mean, we used to go to sleep, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Sometimes midnight. Uh, sometimes midnight. Yeah, you'd aim for 10.30 and it'd be 11, somewhere between 11 and midnight. And now, you know, we're aiming for nine. Sometimes it's a bit before. I've been a bit under the weather recently because the flu's been going around, but I've been able to execute that. But getting to bed like an hour early, so getting to bed before 10, asleep before 10. Uh, and that's been huge. So it's one thing to say get up early, but it's more important to go to bed early because you can't give up to sleep. And that's what I used to do. I'd say, hey, you know what? I only need, I can push five hours, six hours of sleep for a couple of weeks if I have to. And then I can work on seven to eight regularly. But the reality is I just couldn't. I thought I could. And that's what sort of one of the reasons I drove myself into the dirt. So again, rebalancing, prioritizing self-care, sleep's one of those things and building a schedule. And, you know, of course it's not perfect every day, but seeing that on paper made me go, whoa, okay. You know, I don't have that extra 15 minutes here and there to mess around if I need to get this done, this done, and this done. So that was really helpful. Yeah. And also something that I remember when we were doing this, it was like, well, I want to do all these things. And, and then I said, well, you have to work less if you want to do all these things, period. And so do I, like if I want to achieve all these other, like achieves a funny word, but achieve the self-care goals that I'm setting up for myself. <laughs> So that was something where it's like, okay, I'm going to work less and hopefully I will be as productive working less. And that does take courage. Like it really does. Because I think for people that have been successful, the one thing that comes with that success or you have to do to get that success is work hard. It doesn't make a difference if you're an athlete, a musician, a, a business person. You only achieve success with hard work and probably a whole bunch of other variables thrown in there. But the consistent one is hard work. So you program yourself to enjoy it and to work hard. And so you're really afraid. It, it does take courage to take that step back and go, can I still be who I want to be if I slow this down a little bit? And that's the hard part. Yeah. And I think another thing to think about is just, it's funny because all of us get so busy that we stop, we, we forget to stop and check in with ourselves and say, why am I working so hard? And am I enjoying this? And I think it's just really helpful because a lot of times you realize that, well, maybe I'm working this hard for reasons that aren't actually going to make me happy. For me, it's, you know, being completely vulnerable here is I have a complex with feeling like I'm enough. So I feel like if I work harder, I'm just going to like feel better about myself and I'm going to prove that I'm lovable, I'm enough, that I'm valuable. And it's a kind of a fixed mindset of if I don't work this hard or I don't achieve, does that mean that I'm not enough or does that mean that I'm not lovable? 
And it's come from a lifetime of just being a hard worker and an achiever and just this fear of like laziness or just like becoming irrelevant. And man, like whenever you're really honest with yourself, you look yourself in the mirror and say, well, what is it that I need to feel like I'm enough? And what is it that I need to feel happy? And the answer, you know, isn't more work and it isn't, you know, producing more things, but the drive is still there. So it's finding that balance. It's finding the honesty. It's taking that time to slow down, to check in with yourself so that you don't get carried away with the excitement. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were listening to a book from David Goggins recently, and, <laughs> and which is awesome. And I highly recommend you guys all, you know, read it, listen to it, whatever it is. Definitely listen to it because Adam Skorka and, and David Goggins do an awesome job, like dissecting each chapter at the end. And also, you know, on the topic of David Goggins, Jesse Itzler's book, Living with a Seal, the audiobook version, we've listened to, I mean, I've listened to that book two or three times. It's just so funny. You have to listen to it. Yeah, they're great. And But one of the things I really appreciate about David Goggins is his sort of level of self-awareness. And he literally goes and stands in front of the, in front of the mirror and starts talking to himself. And it's, you know, it's kind of that simple, right? Like you don't have to go to a mountaintop and get in touch with your whatever. Just go stand in front <laughs> of the mirror and start like, hey, what's going on? And, and check in with yourself and ask yourself, why? Like, why am I doing this? What's important to me? I think a lot of times we don't. We allow our society, we allow our friends, we allow our coworkers or our bosses to assign us value. So, or assign what we should value. So is it a bigger car or a fancy house or a you know, a promotion or a raise or a job title, well, maybe that's what you want. And that's awesome if you do. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of times someone else has put that on us and maybe we truly don't want that. I know in my case, none of that stuff makes me happy. I'm happy when I receive those things. Like who doesn't want to have success in their life? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be happy to get those things, but that's not my why. And that's not what makes me feel good. So just taking that time to stand in the mirror and First of all, be nice to yourself if you're standing in front of the mirror. <laughs> and second of all, be honest with yourself. Yeah. And I think for you, Matt, kind of like putting this out there is whenever we first met, you said you had barely ever looked in the mirror and been honest with yourself. Like you just didn't take the time to do that. So like, how did you find a way to open yourself up to that? Because it's not always easy to just look in the mirror and just say, yeah, like this is what's wrong or this is what's going well. Yeah. It's a really interesting question for me. There was no one event, but there was just sort of this low level of almost anxiety of unhappiness at a very sort of very, very faint level, I would say. Again, like as a coping mechanism for my entire life, probably, I just did whatever. I didn't really think about why. I, you know, I went to school, got a job, and I seemed to be doing everything I liked, but I didn't really evaluate what it was that I was doing that was making me happy. But after time, I started feeling more and more unhappy, and then I just sort of confronted that, and I went okay, there's something not quite right here. I'm looking at where I am in my life and I'm not happy and I have to have the courage to say to myself, I'm not happy with where I'm at. And that's hard because you don't want to admit that. I'm not saying you're a failure, but it feels like it's a failure to say that. So if that's you and you, there's something just kind of niggling in the back of your brain, sit down, you know, go to that mountaintop, find a mirror, whatever it is, and then say, okay, what kind of changes do I need to make? And then for me, once I knew what I had to do, the question that I ask myself is, do I have the courage to make these changes? I can see where I want to go. I can see who I want to be. It means some big changes in my life that are scary. And do I have the courage to make those changes? So that's hard because we get in these very comfortable routines, very comfortable ruts. We surround ourselves with these people that are great people that are make us feel comfortable. And sometimes we need to step out of that. 
Sometimes we don't. Sometimes I'm not saying anyone, if you're, you know, if you're happy and you're in these awesome routines and you have awesome people, good for you and that's wicked. This is for someone who's got that sort of anxiety about things not being right. But still, even when it's not amazing, it's hard to move out of those ruts. So have the courage, find the people that you want to be like and surround yourself with them. Yeah. And I think that this goes down to clarity and having clarity of who you are and what you want and what you're capable of. And before we turn the mics on, we were talking about clarity, especially for you, Matt. So do you want to kind of bring up what we were talking about before with that? You're talking about how it was like with confidence and with thinking that, yes, I'm good. I'm a good person, but where am I going to do with this good energy? Like, where am I going to go and why? And like, how am I going to go there? Right. I think one of the hard things is, and it comes down, and again, personalities are very different in these ways, but I've never been a very strong goal setter, to be 100% honest. I very much operated on passion. So if I love this, I'll go do it and I'll just put all my energy in and good things happened. I've never been very much, I want to achieve this in three years and this in five years, and I want to have this, this, and this. And sorry to interrupt, but I, I think this is an important point to make to talk about like in elementary school, like how it kind of set you up for this with the grades and the system that you were put into. Yeah, and I have to, so my, my mom's an educator, which makes this really interesting because she actually knows the background behind this. But at the time when I was going to school, early elementary school, they put you into groups and they analyzed you in grade one or something like that, kindergarten grade one. And they, they separate everyone into the A students, B students, and C students. And all the way until you hit to seventh grade or grade seven in Canada, that's what you would get, no matter what you did. So you might get A's in every single assignment and get a C at the end. Or you might hand an A work and get a C. And I, I think it was called widely held expectations. Obviously not a really good system, and they dropped it, thank goodness. But it really, as a student, it messed me up because I, it didn't matter. I could hand in a piece of crap on toilet paper, <laughs> literally, <laughs> and I got a C. Or I could do, you know, Stephen Hawking's kind of work in grade four math, and I'd still get a C. So it literally didn't matter. So you start not caring about outcomes and you don't want to assign expectations to something. So in some ways that really, that I really struggled. And so when I got into high school, that all left. And I found that I would only try in subjects that I was passionate about because I didn't care about the outcome. I just wanted to do something I enjoyed. So in early high school, I had like everything from barely passing grades to top marks in the class. By the time I finished high school, I'd figured out that if I want to go on and, and have a career and go to university, I had to get top marks everywhere and I sorted that out. But so part of that, you know, lack of goal setting and lack of clarity might come from that. It might come from just my personality type, who knows? But I think it's important to have some kind of a clarity for where you're going and who you want to be. And it doesn't have to be, you know, written in stone and static. It doesn't have to be the seven steps too. But I think you do need a vision of who do I want to be? And who are the people that are like who I want to be? And maybe I emulate what those things are. So that clarity for me, once I realized that I could be like that, and that was a big epiphany for me. Wow, I'm not living to the expectations of what I have for myself. And I think that I can, and I could be like these people. It took a big leap of faith. It was like a big, it's an uncomfortable jump for me, but my life has been so spectacularly better since then. It's been incredible. But where did you find the confidence to do that? Because I know for me, this is something I struggle with is I sit down and I'll like write down, I want to be like this, or I want to achieve this. But then I actually feel this like little weird feeling around my diaphragm area thinking like, oh, well, I don't know if I can, or, you know, I don't deserve it, or that's dumb. And that's something that I personally am working on. But it's like, it takes courage and confidence to actually believe that you can achieve that. 
Yeah, and I think it's different in different areas of your life. And you can be, I would say, like maybe a growth mindset in one area and a fixed mindset in another. So you might say, yeah, in my business, I know I can be the top in my country or in my industry, no problem if I do this, this, and this. I know I'm capable of that. And then you might, that might be in your business life, but in your athletic life, you might be like, well, I'm just a terrible athlete. I'll never be any good. And, and you put this cap on yourself. So I don't even know that it's consistent across all things, but I don't know how you get that. I think you just be conscious of, are you thinking in that fixed mindset? Do you believe in the ability for you to grow as a human being? And if that's the case, why can't you? Like you can't go from zero to hero overnight. There's no doubt. But if you believe that you can take steps to move towards that, then that's the first step. It's shutting that thought process down that gets you into trouble. When you have this idea of fixed talent, well, I've only got this much and I've already capped it out, so why try? And I think a lot of people get caught in that. And again, it's not necessarily in all parts of your life, but, and you and I talk about this, well, why can I do this really well here, but I seem to struggle with this over here, even though I'm aware that that's that way. So, and I don't know, and maybe that's a good question for you, I mean, how do you view breaking those barriers down when you catch yourself in that sort of fixed mindset? Well, for me, it's not really talent. It's just like, well, I don't really know how to get there. Like I'm at point A, I want to get to point B. And for a lot of the things I've done, there hasn't been a roadmap. And like, I I really want a mentor. Like I would love to have just this like amazing business mentor that could like help me get to where I want to go. And that like, really believed in me and I really valued their opinion. And, you know, maybe that sounds whimsical and I've tried to find mentors and I've like reached out to people that I look up to and ask them and I just don't get any responses. So I guess for me, finding that confidence, number one is you were somebody that helped me find that confidence to get my initial boost to where I wanted to go was, you know, when I met you, I was, I was doing things that I wanted to do that, you know, was kind of, I was working for Ergon, like traveling around as like a national brand manager, sales and marketing stuff. And I was starting to race at a high level professionally, but I still didn't really believe in myself. And it wasn't until you said to me, like, I believe in you and I believe you can do this. And like, there's other people that had told me that, but for some reason, when you said that to me, it really made me feel like I could do it. And then I did. And that was crazy. So I don't know why I need that external, I need someone else to believe in me or to help me. But I think that's the power of finding a mentor and somebody that says, yeah, like, I do believe you can get from point A to point B. And here's a roadmap on how to even start getting there. Because like some of the goals that I have for myself, I don't know how to get there. Like, I just feel like I beat my head against the wall. And I just effort and effort and it just doesn't get there. Yeah, I think surrounding yourself, I mean, having people that believe in you is really important and not people that are just cheerleaders. And those are great. Like who doesn't want someone to be your cheerleader, but having someone that you look up to and respect that gives you quality feedback that deeply believes in you is really powerful no matter who you are. So be surrounding yourself with people like that is really, really important. And finding a mentor provides that if you can find the right mentor. And I think the challenge with mentorship is you have to find someone that A, you look up to, B, that could mentor you. Knows how to mentor you. And then C, that knows how (laughs) to mentor you. So there's a lot of people that might be doing the things that you really aspire to do or you look up to, but they simply don't have capacity in their life right now. And then even if they did, are they capable? So do they have that skill set? And I don't know how you develop that over time. So it's a really challenging thing. There's a lot of great people out there, again, that, that just may not have the time or may not have the skills to do that. And I've, in my career, it's very different than yours. It's a very... Financial services is pretty 
there's lots of people that walk down that path. And even in my case, finding mentors has been challenging. I've been lucky to find one, extremely lucky to find one, but there's been lots of people that I've met, I've really looked up to, and it just hasn't worked for maybe those other reasons. And I think for me, just something that I was thinking about was, you know, getting to point B. Well, just because you get to point B doesn't mean that you're going to be happier when you get there. Like we, we all set these goals and say, well, I'll be happy when I do X. And, you know, I've also been thinking a lot about expectations and about striving versus enjoying the present moment and discovering like, what is it about working towards something specifically that makes you feel good so that whenever you get to wherever you're going, whether it be point B or point C or or point Pluto, (laughs) even though Pluto, I guess, doesn't even count as being a planet anymore. I I think think I heard that. But it's like, what is it that you enjoy along the way and really take time to enjoy those things along the way that you're doing? That way, if you don't meet your expectations or you don't get to where you're trying to go, that it wasn't a total loss. And it's hard because... I always talk about, yeah, yeah, like the process and yeah, you know, it's the journey, but we still want to set a goal and achieve that goal. But like, where is that line of this was a success? This is something I enjoy. I've gotten to the point now where it's like, I don't want to set a specific goal. Like I want X podcast downloads in one year or like I want X race result. And I'm, I almost am afraid to set those like numerical hard goals because sometimes I feel afraid. Well, what if I don't meet that? And what does that mean about me? And that's where the fixed mindset comes in of, well, if I don't achieve X, then I'm not good enough. So it's saying I'm good enough because I'm doing these things. I'm taking these steps to grow, not because I need to achieve X. Yeah. There's an interesting paradox there. And I think the paradox is like happiness and being present in the moment and focusing on the process, but especially as an athlete where the goal of the race is to measure yourself with a specific outcome. Like that's why you line up, right? All of us that go to races to some degree want some kind of an outcome, whether it's I want to better my time or I want to beat my buddies or I want to beat everyone else in the field and win the whole thing. And then how do you be present in the moment? So there's an interesting dichotomy there between present thinking, enjoying the process and achieving an outcome and focusing on growth. And I don't know you know, how do you balance that effectively? How do you maintain feeling good about yourself in both those scenarios? And I think that's a challenging thing, especially for athletes. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure how you do that. I actually think that uh, you had a really interesting interview with Catherine Pendrell about her process around that thinking, especially around the Olympics for her. But I think a lot of athletes struggle with that. Yeah. And I mean, the outcome of that, which I've heard repeatedly and which I've experienced repeatedly is just feeling proud of your effort because you can win a race. Like I've won races and not felt good about it because I wasn't proud of my effort. And I've done races and come like fifth place. And I felt really fulfilled and really satisfied because I felt proud of my effort and I wanted to win, but even coming fifth, I still felt proud of my effort. So I think it does come down to that, but it's still hard whenever you're trying to set like Because you say with a goal, it's like, well, be specific with your goal. So be specific with your goal, but really be proud of the effort that you put down to get to that goal. Yeah. We don't have like answers, but we're just talking about this stuff because this is like a daily conversation in our household. And there's a book I read I just want to recommend to you guys. It's called The Art of Living by Thich Nhat Hanh. I think is how you spell the first name. Um, There's a lot of like Buddhist philosophy, religion in there. But at the end of the chapter, there's like all these different things. And there's this chapter about aimlessness. 
And it was a chapter about feeling good and satisfied with who you are today in the present and always bringing it back to that. And I I wish I could sit here and just read that whole chapter to you because I read it multiple times because it was so helpful for this, this feeling of like, I must achieve, I must strive, I must work hard, I must be, you know, trying to be number one. And there's actually a subsection that says, and, and I don't know how I feel about it, but it just says, don't try to be number one at something because everything starts revolving around being number one. Right. And on a slightly different tact in terms of a book recommendation is a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. And one of the challenging things that sometimes I have with goal setting is I'm so far away from where I want to go and where I think that I, well, in my mind that I know I can go. But one of the things that he's a proponent of is getting 1% better. So every single day, if you just get that little 1% better by the end of the year, you're so much farther ahead. So it's okay. And yes, Sonia says this to me all the time as I get on my trainer and in the winter, I'm like, ah, oh, God, this sucks. suck. This is no good. So I say, hey, you know, be happy with where you are and put in the work and you're going to get there. So sometimes it's hard. Like, you, you know, you're hard and you're, you're probably the hardest on yourself out of anybody. But just knowing, hey, I'm doing the work today. I'm moving myself in the right direction, whether that's with my business, with my family life, whether it's training or diet, making that 1% change is all you really need to make. You don't have to do it all at one time. Yeah. And also starting where you are, like on the trainer, this is another good example. You know, it's like at some point in time, you might have been way fitter than you were today. No, I'm not saying you, but we have the expectation, <laughs> like we get on the, the trainer and we're like, or anywhere in our lives with whatever we're doing. And it's like, well, you know, I was at this level, so I should be there today. But it's really about starting where you are. And it is hard to accept that sometimes, like that you are not where you used to be. Yeah, I love it. I started playing basketball again after about six or seven years of not playing at all. And I used to play at a high level. I was in, uh, I played varsity basketball and played in men's leagues and was a, a you know, a reasonably good basketball player. And, and like played in university, like, and was on TV and those types of things. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw a basketball player and, and so I go back to men's league and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be rusty and, but you know, I'll come back relatively quick, man, I was brutal. And I had to take a bit of a, you know, step back and go, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things I need to do. I need to put the work in to get back to where I was. So physiologically, I'm an endurance athlete now. I can't jump over a piece of paper because all those fast twitch fibers are gone. So I'm going to have to do some work in the gym, do some plyos to get that back. I got to go spend a little bit of time working on my skills because those are rusty. I know it's all there and they've been coming back now to been doing those things. But yeah, sometimes you need to just, again, step in the mirror and go, hmm, yeah, that was seven years ago. That's not today. This is where I am. And that's okay, because I know what I need to do to make the changes I need to make. So there's just a couple more things that I wanted to finish up with is number one, something that I've been really inspired with, Matt, that you've been doing are push-ups and how you've executed building up. So I, I just want you to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, again, back to the James Clear book. Uh, one of the other things that he has in there is so the book's all about how, like with the science behind behavior change and how you can actually make those changes. So how can you break a bad habit and how can you add in really good habits? So there's all kinds of amazing ideas in there. I highly recommend that you get the book. He's coming on the show in a couple of weeks too. So make sure you check out that episode. Yeah. For those of you on Patreon, get on there, check out the book and ask some questions because man, there's, this guy's a wealth of knowledge. But one of my favorite things that I've implemented is habit stacking. So if you already are doing a habit, Rather than trying to introduce a new one standalone all by itself and carve out time for it and all those things, just add it into what you're already doing. So the example was, for me, has been push-ups. I haven't been inside the gym probably since I've been playing basketball, which has been a long time. 
and I really wanted to get back into doing core and upper body work. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'll start small. I'll just start with some sit-ups and push-ups. And one of the things actually was kind of inspired by David Goggins a little bit, and also because he's all about doing about a billion push-ups a day, I'm sure. But actually implementing some of those things was using James Clear's idea of habit stacking. So I brush my teeth every day. That's a healthy habit. Well, so I do a set of push-ups after I brush my teeth. Well, I shower every day. Okay, well, before I get in the shower, I do a set of push-ups. And so on and on and on, there's little things that you do every single day. And if you stack another habit onto it, off you go. So I started off like doing, you know, three sets of 10 push-ups, of course, the day, barely getting through that. And so 30 push-ups a day, and now I'm up to 250 push-ups. And it's actually not that hard. And you look at it and you go... Like all by itself, that's a big number, 250, but you're like, hey, two, 20, 30 at a time. And you stack them, you know, seven, eight times throughout the day. The next thing you know, you've done hundreds of pushups. So it's been fun to do. It's been fun to see. And it's amazing how easy it is. So I highly recommend habit stacking. Yeah. And he inspired me to start doing them too. But I admit that I've fallen off the bandwagon after the El Paso puzzler race because my upper body was so blown. So I'm trying to get back on the wagon there with the pushups. So there's one last thing that I've been implementing that I think might be helpful for you guys. And this is something, it was a conversation actually on Instagram in the DMs with somebody, but it's about healthy eating and like getting over cravings. And I'm just like everybody else. Like I want oily, salty things. I want sweets. I want pizza. I want whatever, you know, plant-based pizza. But anyway, Uh, So what I've started doing, because deprivation is a really difficult place to come from whenever you're trying to be healthier, saying like, well, I can't ever have that. I can't, I can't, I can't. And Matt and I always talk about adding in things, like add in the healthy things first. So what I've been doing lately is like, if I want a cookie or I want, like there's this like vegan junk food sandwich I like at this (laughs) this restaurant, and I always like want to have that after my ride. So what I do is I tell myself, I can have that but I have to eat a healthy meal or a healthy something first. And what that ends up doing is when I eat that healthy thing first, most of the time, I don't want the junk food thing anymore. But by telling myself that I'm still allowed to have it, I just have to eat something healthy first. That really helps me, A, not give into the craving, and number two, not feel deprived. Yeah, that's awesome. And for me, it's been, my goal has been to eat more fruit. That's been one of my, so... For me, it's been, okay, well, if, if I want something sweet or, I, you know, salty or whatever, have I had as many servings of fruit as I want? Have they? No, well, I'll have that first and then see how I feel after. And to be fair, sometimes I'm like, yep, I still want to have some chocolate. <laughs> but, you know, I'd say 85, 90% of the time, no, I'm good, actually. I feel really satiated and happy that I had an apple, an orange, or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, I think that that's super helpful and easy to add in in pretty much anything. All right. So that's our our podcast recess, just a bunch of different things that we've been talking about, we've been thinking about and just wanted to get on the air and and talk about it. These are the discussions that we really have and that we have with our friends too. So it's just nice to have a real conversation. Well, thanks so much to Matt for coming on the show. And thank you to you guys for listening and for being part of our community. I hope that there was a lot of good takeaways. We talked about burnout and how to see if you're burnt out, how to get back on track to feeling better in your life, how to create better habits, some of the things we've been doing for self-care. We talked about happiness, the happiness horizon and feeling happy in the present moment versus expectations and goal setting. And we just talked about some of the hacks that we're doing. I know people don't like the word hack, but those are literally hacks that we've been doing just to be healthier in our lives. So thanks so much for listening, you guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. 
and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.